Hello, world, and welcome back to Working Wisely. Today's guest is Mike McCulloch, the career advisor at Career Foundry, an education startup based in Berlin specializing in online courses for UX, UI, and web development. For those who are interested in learning more about those, go to careerfoundry.com. Mike has an interesting story about his own career. As a career coach by training, he, he knows a lot about the nature of careers themselves and what people need to do in order to often get out of their own way as they pursue things that are both purposeful and profitable in, in their lives, both of which are important and both are things that Mike hits on. So on that note, here's Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Jessica? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for uh, re- letting us record here in the Career Foundry office in Berlin. Not a problem. Happy to have you. So for those who don't know, tell me a little bit about what Career Foundry is and how it came to be. Okay. So Career Foundry is an online tech education company. Uh, we offer courses for students in user experience design, uh, user interface design, full stack web development, and starting next year, data analytics. Data analytics. What prompted that choice? Uh, some market research on what growing fields were. Um, our goal as a company, of course, is to provide people with the opportunity to train for skills uh, that will uh, both be in demand and be things which are interesting and fulfilling for them. And what, what is with the focus on tech? What, do you, what have you learned since working at Career Foundry about what tech is doing to people's transferable skills, if I can use that phrase? Um, well, transferable skills are always transferable skills. But I mean, what uh, what I would say that, that the tech field is doing is, is making uh, it much easier for people to, uh, to get into uh, jobs that are using those skills because we think of tech as being all uh, you know, code and very binary, and in fact it's not. There's a lot of human interaction, and that's part of what... Uh, what we do is we actually teach more of the human interaction side of things, but also what I do as uh, the head of career services, which is teach people how to leverage their transferable skills into the tech jobs that they're training for. Okay, and how do people leverage their transferable skills? For example, if someone is uh, not a coder, doesn't plan to be, what should they do? Well, you mean if they're learning, if they're taking a, a web development course or if they're taking a user experience design course? Let's, let's, say, let's say web development. Sounds like they wouldn't get very far if they couldn't code, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's not really what we would consider to be a, a transferable skill. Uh, transferable skills are things like communication skills, problem solving, critical thinking. Um, the, the, uh, the things that actually allow you to do the job that you have acquired the technical skills for. But as tech has become a part of every kind of business and every kind of institution to some degree, you need more kind of nonlinear problem solvers than one might first imagine, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, or at least you need the the linear problem solvers to be able to talk and communicate with the the, the rest of the team and their stakeholders <laughs> in what needs to be done. I mean, even even here in the office with our development team, um, while they are all coders, right, they are also all people who are able to communicate ideas uh, outside of a, a, a purely digital space. Um, you know, they're able to we work uh, using um, a sprint format, using Agile. So, you know, being able to, uh, to you know, plan and collaborate and negotiate with other stakeholders about what exactly is going to get done when. And, you know, this is part of what it takes to be successful in any job. Yeah, and that's where you come in. I mean, what do you what have you learned about coaching people on their careers since entering Career Foundry? Since entering Career Foundry um, is actually uh, really overcoming imposter syndrome. Okay, give uh, an example. Uh, so, imposter syndrome is the the feeling that people have that. Uh, they don't really belong in the job that they're doing because they're not good enough for it. Okay. Right. So they look around at, at everybody else and they assume that everyone else has this effortless level of competence that uh, that they don't personally feel. And this is imposter syndrome. Uh, and so what it leads to is people 
um, not feeling that they sh could or should be applying to certain jobs. They feel like if they start a job that somebody's going to stop and say, wait, what are you doing here? Get out. Um, and it, it, it impedes their ability to, to really function um, at maximum capacity or maximum efficiency, uh, both in their job search and then in the, the wider working world. Okay, so I'll just I'll give a scenario for that. Let's say I'm a liberal arts graduate. I studied English and history, and I am um, currently uh, I don't know. I'm I'm doing a very unideal job that I did not expect to be doing out of my liberal arts education. And historian positions are not plentiful or paying very much. And I'm I'm thinking about tech. And I and I I look at the Career Foundry website, and I'm talking to you. What what is what does someone like you tell someone like me? Um. Well, what someone like me would tell someone like you. <laughs> Gee, that person sounds very familiar, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Who would be thinking of? It was, it's someone, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough sketch. Yeah. Um, is that the, the skills that you learned as in liberal arts of critical thinking, of examining evidence and looking at connections between things and being able to draw inferences and... Um, you know, interact with other people and share ideas are all skills which are valuable no matter what job you're in, be it history, be it tech, and that the technical skills of doing user experience design or user interface design or web development are not magic. They are things that people can learn. And of course, what we do in our courses is we break them down into discrete learnable tasks that people are able to work through with the support of our tutors and mentors and student services, and then later on the career services team, uh, to be able to acquire those technical or hard skills and then be able to demonstrate them to uh, an employer or to a potential client if they are interested in freelancing and to do that job. But the technical side of things is only ever a part of that job. Right. It's kind of like just because you have the toolbox doesn't mean you know how to use it, right? And exactly. So there does seem to be something to be said about a mix of, of skills, but also sensibilities. Is that yeah. one way of looking at yeah. it? Yeah. And it's it's part of it is about finding the, the kind of role in tech or indeed in, in any field that motivates you, that you're, that you are able to be passionate about. Um, and that is both our goal as a company, a career founder, we want people to find jobs they love. Right? So jobs that make them want to be doing that job. Mm -hmm. But um, my, uh, my ethos as a, as a career coach has always been that people should have a job that they love doing. That is not just something which pays the bills, Mm -hmm. but something which provides them with the intellectual and emotional stimulation to want to be doing that work. Okay. Um, I always, always used to say people to people when I was facilitating your job search workshops is that I personally, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would still come to work because I like the work that I do. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and I want everybody to have that kind of a job. Okay. I want to slightly play devil's advocate on that because the do what you love thing is a common phrase. It's not a bad one. It's not something that's not worth pursuing. But I mean, how, how would you differentiate, you know, doing a job you really love from literally having fun all the time? I, I think this is a misperception that people get from do what you love is, you know, this isn't fun every day or this is. I want you to break down what you love means from your point of view a little bit more. Okay, so um, uh, so from from my perspective, do what you love um, means find something that has the combination of, um, and, and we describe it in the job prep course, and I, I can't remember where it comes from, but it's the combination of money, joy, and flow, right? Money, joy, and flow. That's money, joy, good. and flow, right? So joy obviously is something which, which makes you happy to be doing so that you you don't want to be you don't want to have a job that you hate doing that job that you find it to be you know difficult um and not just difficult in the sense of oh this is hard i need to work on this but difficult as in i really actively hate it right? mm -hmm. flow is where you can get into the the headspace of 
being able to focus on something and it's it's effortless, right? It's something that you are you do and you you're into it. You're into it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then money, obviously, is something which pays you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, people can have two of those three things. They can have, for example, uh, joy and flow, right? So they can mm-hmm. have something they really like and that is effortless for them to do. And we call them starving artists. Yes, we do. Right. Um, you can have something which brings you money and which you do effortlessly, uh, but which you don't actively enjoy. And then you're unfulfilled in your job. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can have something which you, um, you know, really like doing and pays you well, but which you're not very good at. And then obviously that becomes a, a, a difficult thing to do as well. So, I mean, the way I look at it is sort of, something that you're motivated enough by to suffer the aspects of it that are unpleasant. Or or which are things that you need to develop competency in, or there are things that take you outside of your comfort zone. Um, certainly there are aspects of my job that I'm not as good at as I would like to be. But there are also things that I recognize that, um, or more, more specifically, I'm not as comfortable doing as I, as I would like to be. Um, but I recognize that those are parts of my job which are necessary for both my own personal success and growth, but also for the success of the company in the job that I'm doing. Okay, and then tracking back to Career Foundry and how they help people do that, I mean, it's an online course. It specializes in sort of tech skills, which are very much in demand right now. There's a shortage of people that can do all sorts of things from coding to data science to UX design. All of those skills are, are things that companies need more of. What I want to know, though, is, for example, do you think that online courses like Career Foundry are going to end up changing the way higher education works? Will they augment higher education? Will they will they infiltrate it? Will they make certain aspects of it irrelevant? I mean, what is it? What does somebody do in you know the near future when maybe they can't? What if someone can't afford higher education where they are, but they can afford something along the lines of a uh, of Career well, Foundry? We, we certainly hope that it's going to end up. Uh, influencing higher education uh, in the sense of both providing people with an option for, you know, again, jobs that are in demand, that that pay a reasonable salary, Mm -hmm. um, and that are certainly going to be secure um, from the the immediate and short-term changes in the economy that I think we all know are coming. Uh, but that uh, are accessible to them as well. Um, and part of that is more um, based on the, the, the how we teach the material. Um, and again, I'm not a, uh, a curriculum expert or an instructional designer, but um, I know from my own experience as a coach and as a facilitator that uh, adult learning especially um, is accomplished by uh, the exercise and the using of skills towards a discernible end, right? So different from what we would call traditional education, where it's based on the acquisition of knowledge. Right? Yeah. What, what we're talking about is the acquisition of competency. So it's being able to say, okay, so in order to, uh, you know, to be a user experience designer, you must be able to, um, to, you know, understand how somebody you know intuitively interacts with an app and be able to design a user journey that encompasses the likely actions of the people that you're you're marketing the product to well this is what i do like about your course oh, for everyone wondering i did take the course and it, it, i did enjoy it but one thing i think and is he did get a job and i did get a job as a result of it which i'm currently you know doing now Oddly enough. But one thing that's interesting is I think that a valuable thing about Career Foundry or similar platforms or really anything tech related, even if you're not in the space of of coding or anything like that, is you're in a space where it's very easy to be intimidated by the problem of, oh, so many skills, so many software, so many things changing all the time. And, And one always can have the risk of feeling behind. And certainly there are rewards for people who get ahead in a certain niche way. But I think the thing that the course did very well, at least for UX design, which is what I took, was it taught a certain sense of flexibility in that, in the sense that there's even so much just in the domain of UX design, you can't learn uh, four things and then be ready. You know, it's not, um, it doesn't work like that. So I think like many jobs, many careers, 
the the need to adapt and and get comfortable with adapting was a very useful part of the course and that's exhibited in how the curriculum goes it does sort of prep you hey this might not match exactly that is okay this is not a this is not the bar this is not a law exam you know this is um although the law is also something in flux maybe not the best example but would you say that hard skills change a lot more often than you know certain sensibilities or how to think or analyze changes exactly and that's that is you know kind of the the crux of of how to stay employed in the world is if you're relying on what tools or what hardware you know how to use then eventually those will be superseded by something else yeah and if you haven't learned those new things in the meantime you will find yourself unemployed and unemployable whereas if you've approached your career with a mindset of i have competencies um, and skills that I can use, and the tools are what allow me to do it in this particular moment in time. And as new tools arrive, I will learn how to use them as well. Then you've positioned yourself both uh, attitudinally and competency-wise as somebody who will be in demand. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then do you think that that is something where a certain personality type is attracted to a certain set of skills. When you meet people, do you have an idea of what kind of career is good for them? I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, so I wonder, do you have a do you have an intuition on people you trust yet, or do you do you do you hold out for more information? Um, well, um, I believe that that um, people will tell me what it is that they need and what it is that they want to be doing, and I will ask some questions to help them clarify whether or not that's a good choice. Okay. Um, I, I, I believe in a, uh, and this occasionally frustrates the students and clients that I work with. Um, I believe in a very non-directive approach to uh, someone's own career choice. A non-directive approach. Yeah. As in, I will ask people questions about what they think they ought to be doing, and I will provide them with examples and with suggestions and ideas. But um, when it comes down to it. I can't get them a job. They will get themselves a job. I'm there to help them understand what it will take for that to happen and to help them understand what they need to be showing somebody in order for that to happen. But at the end of the day, I'm not the person doing the interview and I'm not the person who has to show up at that office every day. Yeah. Well, then I'd be curious if you could tell us a little bit about your experience um, at Career Foundry when you guys offered um, a discounted package to unemployed uh, people in Germany. Um, that's a pretty unique thing to do as a, as a startup. Okay, so, so I mean, we offer, um, our courses are available to people who are on unemployment in Germany through the Agentur für Arbeit on what's called the Bildungsgutschein, which is a, uh, a certificate which allows them to purchase training courses to upgrade their skills. Yes. Um, I believe at some points we've also run promotions for people who were unemployed in Germany and not um, eligible for a Bildungsgutschein that they could take the course at a discount as well. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, it's um, the, the courses are obviously the same. The end product is the same. Um, and the results certainly have been very positive in that uh, you know students who take the course are by and large, motivated to finish because they can see the end goal. Yeah, they have a very clear set of objectives in, in that sense. And it's it does say something to Career Foundry that you guys are, are fulfilling the, the obligation or the desire to be accessible to a, a wide range of people. Yeah, I mean, our, 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 our company values are that we want to be, uh, you know, the most human-centric education company on earth. And that means um, both being... Uh, focused on the needs of our students uh, as learners, but also focused on the, the wider needs of society in providing um, an accessible education to as many people as possible. Yeah, which is, which is noble because I think, I mean, to the degree that it's true or not can be, can be debated, but there is a common thread in a lot of popular discussion about tech that a lot of it is a bunch of kind of emotionally unhealthy distractions for, you know, well-off people in the developed world or, or in a certain social class. And 
And that, that that characterizes shows like Silicon Valley and the like. Yeah, certainly um, there there is the perception that, that um, tech causes more problems than it solves. Uh, part of, of course, what we teach and what we hope um, uh, our students take away from it is the idea of using their design skills for good, if you will. And yeah. coming up with... Uh, Again, with product that is not necessarily strictly for based on a profit motive, mm-hmm. is that it is around making people's lives easier and more accessible. Certainly, um, accessible design is part of what we teach in the course. Uh, certainly, part of what I, as uh, somebody who's married to a person with a disability, believe <laughs> is uh, really essential in the world is that we consider universal design as one of the highest principles of design. And that's a part of the course too. There's a designing for good chapter, which is yeah. which is very thoughtfully written. Whoever whoever wrote it, probably a team of smart people. Probably a team of very smart people, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's good. I mean, I think in terms of how all those parts fit together, um, why why do it in Berlin? Why not do it in a, in a you know, Bangalore or, or Silicon Valley or somewhere more more mainstream in its tech appeal? Um, well, the short answer is is that our co-founders were in Berlin. Smart. Are they, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are they from, are they from Germany? Um, one of them is. The other one is Swedish. But, of course, they were both living in Berlin at the time. Um, and, I mean, Berlin is, on many levels, um, a tech center. Uh, and there are certainly lots of startups here. Um, the... Certainly, the the infrastructure exists for digital companies to uh, to be working here. Obviously, uh, we, you know we have a um, uh, at the time uh, you know a, a fairly reasonably priced rent for you know for our location and our offices. And so, um, you know, from that point of view, from a purely you know business perspective, it's also a, a great place to be. And again, because we're a an online platform, it means that our students can be wherever they are and certainly our mentors and tutors and career specialists are also globally located yeah Um, and you know part of that is that when you know when you take a course with us uh your mentor and tutor are going to be in an area close to you so that their responses to you will be around a time which is convenient for you as well as them a similar enough time a similar enough time zone um and uh you know, and so from that point of view, it's as close to synchronous education as you can make an online platform. Yeah. Without requiring students and mentors to be logging in at certain times. Uh, part of this is, of course, that we build it. We understand that the that the people who are taking our courses aren't just taking our courses. They have lives. They have commitments. Um, we have actually a very diverse student um, body as well as mentor and tutor body from the points of view of um gender, of ethnicity, of uh, class and income, of family status, of uh, sexual orientation. I mean, e- you know, everything that you can think of is we are much more diverse than what one thinks of the tech world as being. And that is something that we are proud of. And it's something that we, of course, aim to foster and to continue um, as a company. We want, like I said, we want to make this as accessible as possible. And part of that means recognizing that we have a very diverse student body, and that impacts also how people learn and how people um, have time to learn. Which I would add, I can't say for for the courses I didn't take, but as a someone who's studied design through Career Foundry, you, you as a designer, you're always trying to identify problems that people might have or, or perspectives they might have on a given thing that might look different to your own. And it's nice to know that you know you're getting curriculum that does come from a. a a large range of, of sensibilities and perspectives and backgrounds to fit that. You know, it's 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 the uh, epitome of not shallow diversity. If yeah, you, know, you can use that phrase. Yeah, we, we we take diversity as a principle very seriously here, um, and uh, certainly try to uh, actively consider that as an aspect of our own hiring processes, um, mm-hmm. and then also as an aspect of the courses that we teach and the content in those courses, the examples that we use, um, the, the images that people see when they're going through the course or when they encounter us, um, you know, through um, our marketing department, uh, yeah. is that um, uh, it's not just all one kind of student um, or one kind of user that we are, um, that we are presenting. Yeah. 
That's actually a little bit of how I ended up doing the podcast for our startup folks, for anybody who was wondering, probably not, but was that um, as a UX designer, you, you do have to oversee a lot of the uh, the content um, of the marketing because it affects your, your digital product. And then as, as the as the product is the content and then the podcast is content then podcast is product and and that's that logic landed me here with Mike. There we go. And you know, it's a, it's good. I want to ask you now why why be a career coach? I mean, how did you get from um from Canada, not the United States, Canada to uh to being a career coach in in Berlin? Um well, it's it's actually kind of a long story. I'm not sure how interesting it will be, but here here it goes. It is the the secret to my career is that I never expected to be a career coach. Um, I don't think that anybody grows up saying, I want to be a career coach. Um, people uh, become career coaches in a variety of ways. And my own story is, is that I always wanted to do something which involved making things better. Um, and... Uh, initially I thought that might be law or politics and I discovered that I have neither the inclination nor the personality to do those things, though they both remain interesting subjects for me. Um, and so then I thought, oh, well, maybe I want to do social work. And I ended up, um, at a, of all things, at a job fair that was run by an organization that I ended up working for and handed them my resume. And eight months later, they called me with an opportunity to provide services um, to people who weren't yet ready to job seek. Okay. Um, so um, they were opening a, a new, uh, in, in Ontario, where I was living at the time, um, there was a service called Employment Resource Centers, which uh, at the, you know, the, the mid-90s, early part of the, of the new millennium, um, you know, job search was becoming increasingly electronic and digital and not pe not many people had all of that infrastructure at home. So okay. we provided a space where people could come to do their job search, access to computers and um, you know, photocopiers and fax lines, et cetera, that people might not have at home, um, internet access, obviously, as well as support from uh, career coaches and the staff and a library of materials and workshops, et cetera, on how to job search effectively. Okay, so the pause here and just recap. I mean, I already kind of see the building blocks of, of being a career founder a bit. There's the general empathy to want to make a positive difference. There's uh, a group of people that have a potential to benefit from some digitized uh, processes for their jobs. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's you who's, who's getting familiar with all of this. Yeah, I mean, as you know, at the time, um, so the job I was hired for, like I said, was to provide people who weren't yet ready to be job seeking. In other words, they had larger challenges to employment than just putting together a resume. Um, we were, this, the center that I was hired to work at was located in a very um, diverse area of Toronto, uh, both from uh, an income and also uh, uh, ethnicity perspective. And uh, we certainly were a lot of people in the neighborhood who had challenges with homelessness or with addiction or with mental health issues. And as somebody who had done training in nonviolent conflict resolution in anti-oppression techniques and, and diversity. Well, that's um, a, that's a, you know, let's not skip over that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I had, as, as in university, I had done, um, been a volunteer on, uh, on a phone line for LGBTQ youth um, and had done, you know, crisis resolution training and, uh, you know, anti-oppression and, and um, anti-racism training. And so I was hired as one of two people whose job it was to, when somebody obviously wasn't ready to be job searching yet, to sit with them and come up with solutions for what their most immediate needs were. So what would be an immediate need? Housing, for example. So okay. somebody who was homeless would, you know, would be for us to have uh, knowledge of which shelters would best suit their needs. Yeah, like before um, we help you further, like we need to know where you're sleeping. Yeah, that makes or sense. you need to know where you're sleeping. Yeah, right? so essentially them, not yeah. yeah. Or somebody who, again, who was um, experiencing mental health issues um, or wasn't sober when they came into the office. Uh, that could be the, problematic in, yeah. the wrong, in the wrong context. Yeah, those, the, and so to basically take these people aside, provide them with 
um, resources that would help their immediate needs, but also to leave the door open for when they were in a different place that we were here to help them. Makes sense. Yeah. And so my job title was access worker. Um, of course, I would, uh, you know, quote tongue in cheek that actually my job was the no access worker, right? Because <laughs> if they had access, they wouldn't need you. Yeah, exactly. If they were, if they were ready to access the center, they <laughs> obviously wouldn't need to be speaking with me. So, right. Um, and I, you know, I found that that was um, an interesting job. Certainly, a job that was using skills that I had acquired. Um, and that I liked helping people figure out how to get to where they needed to be. And over time, I you know moved on to a, a more direct career services role. Um, I did uh, training in um, in uh, facilitation and adult learning to again get a better understanding of how um, people would process and interact with information, and you know became a, a career coach. Okay, and you know here we are. 20 years later, and, uh, you know, through, uh, you know, many different jobs, um, you know, I worked in Toronto, I moved out west in, in Canada to Calgary, I spent two years teaching English in Japan, um, and then my husband and I had visited Berlin, and we thought this was kind of a cool city to be in, and looked for ways to, um, uh, to come here. And um, he's a writer and is you know, got a grant to do research for a book involving disability and Germany. Oh, wow. And, you know, we came here and then I discovered Career Foundry as an organization. And, um, you know, eventually the, the job that I'm doing now came up. And lo and behold, here I am. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I think what's particularly poignant about that is it's your career started from a with an ethic that you had clarified in your head of, of what you were motivated to do. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is then as you found what didn't work, you know, um, so more, you know, I think it's common that people have an idea of what, what generally motivates them or intrigues them. Then they, they take a route that might be traditional. There's nothing wrong with something being traditional, but maybe it's just an obvious thing to try first. Um, and some people like it and then some people don't. And then, um, but even though you didn't go a, a political route, you did end up, by the sound of it, interacting with loads of different institutions. And uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the employment resource centers that I started in were publicly funded. Obviously, they were they operated under a, a grant from the, the government of Canada, provided money to um, the organization that ran the centers to operate them. Um, you know, when I worked in Calgary, I worked for, um, again, a, 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 a post-secondary institution, again, that got the money to do the program that I was in from the government of Alberta. Um, and there I was working mostly with internationally educated professionals. So okay. people who had trained in a field outside of Canada, had immigrated to Canada, and now wanted to continue working in that field. So okay. I had to acquire knowledge of a whole raft of different professions and what their qualifications for entry were in order to be able to help people understand what they needed to do if they wanted to work as an engineer or as a nurse or as a physician or um, physiotherapist, lawyer, any, really any, any career um, in a new country. And okay. So, so again, using a lot of my experience of intercultural communication, of critical thinking, problem solving, um, of process management, and then you know, did that, moved to Toronto, was doing it um, again with a provincial organization, strictly with health professionals. So um, doctors who had trained as physicians outside of Canada wanted to come practice in Ontario. Um, and that is not a very easy thing to do. So No, it is not, because uh, medical regulations especially and certifications are not Mm -hmm. parallel country to country yeah it's the i think it's the second highest bar to clear as far as um cross-national certification and training goes yeah um the highest bar being lawyers in fact yeah um, which makes sense because each country has different laws right so everything exactly. is different you know a kidney is a kidney whether you're in canada or, or india but but um yeah yeah the law that's tough yeah and so what i was doing there was not only Again, helping people understand what the path to practice looked like, but also 
helping them understand what the expectations of health professionals in the Canadian system were, which were often radically different in terms of how people interacted with their patients or with colleagues or with other health professions than what they were used to. Yeah. So, again, the same kinds of things of cross-cultural communication, of flexibility, of being able to, um, to empathize with other people's needs. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, when we made the decision to move to Germany, I worked freelance as a, as a resume writer for a while, um, taught English um, to many different uh, uh, students in Germany. And then, again, like I said, got the career foundry gig and I haven't looked back. Cool, cool. And yeah, I mean, the, the facilitating other people in other countries must have helped when you moved to another country, just as far as yourself is yeah, required. of knowing what culture shock looks like and how to manage that. Yeah. And things might work a little different here than what you're used to, and that's okay. Yeah, and all yeah. Those yeah you, you were prepared for that. You're not from around here, are you, vibe? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, without going into extreme detail, I mean, Canada is one of those places that's known for doing a really good job with um, bringing people in, professionals and from all over the world and, and getting them working, right? Yeah, well, there's, um, I mean, Canada has um, a skills-based uh, immigration policy, right, which is that um, unless you're coming to join a family member, an immediate family member, so unless your husband, for example, is Canadian and you're immigrating to, to live there with him or unless, um, you know, under certain circumstances, people can bring their parents over, for example, um, in order to immigrate to Canada, you must uh, be able to demonstrate that you have um, a level of skills which would allow you to find a job. Which is fair. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, you know, people who are in professions or uh, areas which are in demand... Um, uh, priority. ...have, you know, have an easier time of clearing that bar. Okay. Um, but Canada being a federal system, of course, the difference is that while immigration is a federal matter, the regulation of professions is a provincial matter. So, so there's some institutional uh, sandpaper rubbing that's going on. Well, it means that somebody, again, for, for the, the clients I was working with, just because Canada needs doctors and the federal government has said that, oh, you're a doctor, then your skills are in demand, um, the provinces aren't required to allow you to do anything with that. Okay. Um, and again, professions are often very... Um, judgmental in how they assess skills and how they assess qualifications of people that don't exactly fit their understanding of what that is. And certainly there are, there are legitimate policy reasons around patient safety and you know, assuring competence that are, that are necessary, but um, part of what um, I, I certainly agreed with the pushback on was making that more accessible to people. Yeah, because I think accessibility is, is kind of the big the big thing in almost every, especially tech-related uh, field. I mean, not to just go exclusively to tech or law or migration or, you know, we're getting pretty macro here. But as far as it goes back to careers, I mean, the, ba the building blocks of a career depend on having access to a certain set of resources. And then once you have a career, the building blocks of a job... Um, it switches. It comes to like what, how, how you are able to present yourself to the right institution or individual in the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's 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 you. That's that part, right? That's that's me. Is that I teach people about how to how to do that, um, how to understand uh, what they bring to the table, um, and how to match that with what are the expectations of employers. And then um, one of the things that I personally am most passionate about in terms of, of the day-to-day -day mechanics of job search is how to talk about that effectively in an interview. Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think people mostly get wrong about job interviews? What's the number one assumption, if there is one, that people constantly make that leads them to not get jobs they might have otherwise gotten? Uh, that well, there's there's a couple of of uh, kind of fundamental errors that people make. Um, the first one is they assume that people are getting the same message from what they're saying as what they meant. Right? Yeah, so, I might assume that. Yeah. So um, this is what I call nobody reads minds, right? So the idea that uh, if you're in an interview situation and you want somebody to understand how you fit their needs, you have to be explicit in saying how you fit their needs. You can't just assume that they can see from your resume or from uh, you being there in the room that you can do those things is you have to be able to 
understand what they want and tell them about how you can do it. You can't just say, hey, I have great analytical skills. What do you got for me? Right. You have to be able to say, here's an example of a time when I broke a problem down into its fundamental parts, identified what the 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 obstacles were, and came up with a solution. <laughs> what if That's... I'm a mess and I've never done that, but I'm really good at math? I'm not. This is an example. So what do you mean? So like, what if somebody is, is uh, what if, you, what if you, you're dealing with someone who's kind of disagreeable? Like, let's say they, they're, they're very talented, but they're, they're not good at this. Like, you're talking to someone who's looking for a job, and, and they're, um, let's say, let's say they're, they're, they're acting against their own interest, and they don't understand it because perhaps they have an emotional stake in their performance that they're not currently hitting while they're looking for a job. Is that a common scenario? Um, well, it, it's... Um, it's the, the difference between having um, a growth mindset and and having a value mindset. Yeah, right? differentiate those. Um, so someone with a, a value mindset means that their performance or failure is a function of their individual work. Right. So that if they were successful, it's because they're a good person. If they were unsuccessful, it's because they were a bad person. Okay. Right? Whereas someone with a growth mindset looks at... A growth mindset or a value mindset? Well, a growth mindset. The value mindset is somebody who, who basically, um, if they were successful, it's because of them. And if they were unsuccessful, often it's because of other people who were unsuccessful. Would that but make a billionaire as good as they are rich? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, as an aside, um, the United States has a value mindset in terms of dealing with poverty and privilege. But that's another story. I'm aware. I grew up there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, whereas a growth mindset, again, are, are people who look at um, the their the obstacles that they might encounter, or they look at um, how to achieve their goals, and they look at ways to to grow into that opportunity, or to take an experience and learn from it and adapt. That sounds better. That sounds much better. Yeah, um, and you know, certainly at Career Foundry, we're very much into fostering a growth mindset. Um, but, uh, so somebody who is again, approaching their job search, uh, and they're emotionally invested in, um, people recognizing how good they are at something. Um, oftentimes it's a matter of, again, um, my personal coaching philosophy is that I will sit with people and I will ask them questions until they themselves have come up with the answer. Okay. Right? Yeah, I guess you. So, um, if they're like, well, you know, nobody wants to hire me. Hmm. Why is that? Why, why, why? Until you yeah. get to. Until it's like, oh, maybe it's about how I'm presenting myself. Right. Yeah. And so, okay, now how can we come up with some strategies to better present yourself? What are some of the things that you need to do as a job seeker to understand the needs of your employer or of your potential employer? and be able to present that information in a way which is relevant and meaningful for them. Um, there's actually a, an excellent book called uh, How to Find a UX Job. Right? Yeah. And um, again, the name of the author escapes me right at the moment, but... Um, how to Find a UX Job. How to Find title. a UX Job is the title. Uh, and basically, it's treat your job search like a UX project is understand the needs of your users. First of all, understand who your users are. Makes sense. Understand what their needs are and come up with a way to present the information in a way which leads them to take the action that you want them to take. Yeah, which means you are the solution to their problem, which is why they will give you a job. Right. So, um, and that means that, you know, when you are presenting your value proposition to them, Basically, when you're talking about how you can do the things that they need done is you have to present that in a way which answers the questions that are going through their head in the order that they're going through their head. Right. So yeah. it's, 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 it leads me to what I call part two of, the, of the, the job search strategy, which is do the math. Do the math. Do the math. So just like part one was nobody reads minds. So if you haven't told them about how you can do something... Don't expect them to know it. Okay. Right? Do the math is tell them what that means for them. Yeah. Right. So relate the information you're giving back to their immediate problem. Yeah. Don't don't make it a, 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 like a like a life biography. Right. Right. I think I think this is a thing that I notice people tend to do. I, I've 
oddly, after finding a job, I'm in the awkward position of now being at interviews where I'm on the other side of it, and mm. and I have a very I have a very different attitude about it now because now I now I see what doesn't work pretty quickly, and and what you'll notice is a lot of people will give you a life story. They're not saying like they're not like I'm not interested in your company. I'm not really interested in you. I'm interested in sort of my own self actualization through receiving a job. Right. And so people go, yeah, I'm really into this. I like this. I love this. If you're doing any of that, and you you can you can feel a little hurt even as the yeah. employer. With did you even look at our website? Yeah. You know or did you read the job description? Yeah, that's that's probably the other one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know it, that comes down to understanding in an interview. Um, again, going back to interviews, is how to process the questions that you're being asked as a candidate, and understanding what the needs of the employer are in asking those questions, mm-hmm. and coming up with how the information you're giving them not only answers that question, but demonstrates value. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, I mean, what's the most satisfying part of doing that at Career Foundry? Is, I mean, is it getting the call that someone you worked with got a job? Is it is it just sort of perfecting your own uh, methods of suggesting stuff? What, what What is the most rewarding um, part it, currently? It, it's always people getting jobs. Um, again, through my entire career, nothing has ever made me happier than someone coming back to me and saying, Mike, I got the job. And, you know, and sometimes they will ascribe that to my intervention, right? And, <laughs> um, which makes me feel very humble. But the, but it's always, all I did was teach them how to show someone else what they can do. Yeah. And so I didn't get them the job. I, help them get the job for themselves. But I feel like if I can use an analogy, if you often walk up to somebody who's trying to open a locked door and then you point to them and go, hey man, there's, there's a door right here that's that's already open. Yeah, well, is that, or here's actually where the key lives, right? Yeah. Check under the mat. Yeah have, you, <laughs> yeah, have you checked under the mat? Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty good as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's sometimes about helping people see things in a different perspective or helping them understand um, how to, again, empathize with the, <laughs> the needs of the people that they are going to be interacting with, uh, which, again, goes right back to the very beginning when we were talking about um, you know, technical skills versus transferable skills or versus competencies, yeah. is that employers hire or they, employers interview for skills. Yes. Right? So they will you know, select candidates to interview who look like they can do the job. They hire for fit. They hire for fit. They yeah. hire for fit. So and not they, fitness, but who fits best. Yeah, yeah, they hire for the person best that they feel is going to be best able to not only do the job, but also integrate within their team and meet their needs. Which is another thing I think people make a mistake about. They think, oh, I didn't get the job because I'm not capable, not because I wasn't the right context for that environment. Exactly. I wasn't the, I wasn't the right candidate for this job at this time. And again, part of my strategy with uh, career coaching is teaching people that there, there are, you know, there's, you will sometimes not get the job because someone was legitimately better than you. In other words, they, enough. they, they were a better fit. They had, um, you know, a more appropriate mix of skills and experience or, um, they they had a personality which the, the hiring managers felt was more in line with their company ethos and values. And sometimes you will not get the job because someone just did a better job of talking about how they could do the job than you did. If they talk to you, that will not be the reason. Right. If <laughs> they talk to me, hopefully that will not, hopefully they, that will not be the if reason. They yeah. to me, <laughs> if they listen to me. And, and they listen, talk to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and this is this is really the, the secret to job search is when you your whole um, job search project should be about identifying why you're the right candidate for a particular job or a particular type of job, understanding what the individual needs of the the company that you're applying to are, and coming up with a credible narrative about how you can do the things that they need. Yeah, like to oversimplify with a massive brushstroke, company has problem, company needs solution, company considers you, you must say, why am I a solution to that problem? Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
Well, then I, I guess as as we wrap up in the final minutes, I am I am curious to ask. Um, I mean, a little more broadly, as all this sort of crazy skill swapping and and uh, you know job disruption, as people call it, um, it, it takes place. Are you personally optimistic that uh, most people can can figure it out? Or I mean, will if if people concentrate, can they find themselves in the right institution at the right time? Or is some sort of Skynet going to just destroy all of our value in a in a couple of years? Um, well, I, I certainly um, you know remain optimistic that the the kinds of things that my students are learning now are things which will hopefully keep Skynet from happening. Um, Excellent point. But also will allow them to adapt with the changing needs of the digital world. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a foregone conclusion that um, the the work that is being done is increasingly subject to automation, is subject to things like artificial intelligence, um, is subject to um, the the simplification of the the process and it takes um, people who are adaptable and flexible in their own mindset to roll with those punches that makes sense right and that's that's what i want people to to be able to learn um, rolling and, with the punches adapting and being adapting flexible and and you know being being aware of their own worth and their own ability to um, to again to find a job that um, that they personally enjoy doing and are good at yeah and, and which will pay them yeah which will pay them I mean we all gonna get paid and I would also add that just having an open mind I mean I think if there's one thing that kind of connects all the things that you do and have worked on and have been interested in it's been kind of seeing the utility of what even a slightly more open mind can do whether that's a, a political institution a startup a country or a person you yeah. know. And I think that's a that's a valuable thing. Is a a flexible person is going to do a lot better when the world changes than an inflexible person. Exactly. And an inflexible person is going to spend a lot more time being angry, a lot less time being curious, and probably eventually a lot less time being pain. Yeah. There's there's actually a a, a book from the eighties about this. The eighties. The eighties. Well, oh that that's yeah, in back, now. Back before the crust of the earth cooled. Um, <laughs> called Who Moved My Cheese. Who moved my cheese? Yes, and the whole thing is about adapting your approach to the world to the objective facts of the world, and not expecting, in this case, the analogy of the the mice looking for the cheese, and the cheese has always been in the same place every day, and then okay. suddenly is gone, right? And so you've got the one mouse that is like, the cheese should be here. Where is the cheese? Where is the cheese? And the other per the other mouse is like, I'm going to go find the cheese. Yeah, and so. <laughs> This is this is what um, what job search is about. Is yeah. figuring out where your cheese actually is and going after it. I like I like that analogy. On that note, because it's about lunchtime, I'm about to go move some cheese, and I, I thank you for taking okay. some time with me today, Mike. Enjoy the cheese. I shall. Okay. Take care. That was Mike, everyone. As said before, for those interested in Career Foundry courses, you can go to careerfoundry.com, and uh, we'll see you next time. As always. Get your stuff done, go home, and enjoy your life. Maybe take an online course.